This is The Christian Artist, and it is just me today, but not just sitting here talking to you, rather. This is another bonus episode from our Ten Commandments series, and I am talking about carved images. Here we go. Alright, so tonight we're going to be talking about the Second Commandment. Who knows what the Second Commandment is? Off the top of your head, what is it? What's the first? What did we talk about last week? First commandment is? No, that's the greatest commandment. <laughs> you shall have no other gods before me. What's the second commandment? I mean, yeah. So let's, okay, let's just go ahead and read it. So it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the fourth, third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So that's what we're going to be focusing on tonight, that, that passage of scripture, right? So... Second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, and you shall not bow down to them or serve them. So, whenever you see in your Bibles this uh, capital here, right? Capital Lord, all caps. What does that mean? Do you guys know? Hmm? No, like, so it's, it's capitalized. You'll see this a lot in your Bible, right? You'll see capital Lord, all caps, Lord. I am the Lord, your God. Does anyone know why it's capitalized? It is important. You're right. Yeah. So it is, it is capitalized because when that appears, that is the name Yahweh in Hebrew. So Y-H-W-H. And so that's, that's not just a, um, it's a really important name. So when we say God, right, um, we're, we're, it's a title for God, right? We're like, okay, you are God. So you're the God of the universe, right? But Yahweh in Hebrew is God's name. It's the name that he gave to um, the Israelites. He gave to Moses to refer to him as. So the name, it means Lord, right? That's why it's translated like that. But it also has connotations of a God who is eternal, unique, unchangeable, and most importantly, always actively present with his people. So this is important because when we're talking about the Ten Commandments, the reason why we follow the Ten Commandments isn't just because they're a list of rules. It's because I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right? That is why we follow the Ten Commandments because God started out the whole thing with saying, listen, I am the Lord your God. I am the one who is in charge here. I'm the king. You are my citizens. And so these are my rules. These are my commandments. We don't just follow them because it's a random list, right? The reason that they're important is because God spoke them and he, he says to follow them because we are under his lordship. So let me go to this, this next passage, right? So I, I totally skipped through this slide, but it's a cool slide. So. so I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. That is what we're going to be focusing on here in the, in the second commandment. So 
It says in Deuteronomy to kind of flesh this out. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. That is a lot of specifics, right? So don't make these things. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heavens. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Right? So God provides the first reason for the second commandment. Right? Therefore, watch yourselves carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves. Right? So the first reason is God, when he showed himself to his people, when he revealed himself to his people, he didn't show them in physical form. He didn't, he didn't come to them and say, and like reveal himself as a physical being and say, hey, here, here I am. And what was, what's the reason that he didn't do that? Does anyone know? Because you die. Because if you actually saw the Lord, you would just fall down dead because he's so glorious, so wonderful, so amazing. When, when Moses had the Lord revealed to him, the Lord himself had to just put his hands over his eyes as, as he passed by Moses because it was so glorious that he couldn't even, he wouldn't, like, he couldn't even stand it. He would, he would literally die. And even just seeing like the tiny little bit that Moses got to see before the Lord covered his eyes, he came down from the mountain and went to the Israelites and he was glowing. He was like pale white and he was glowing. And, and he's like, whoa, guys, I saw God. Like, this is crazy. Like, I'm glowing. What's going on? Right? It's, it's incredibly crazy the way, like, so God has no physical, visible form because if he did, he, we'd all die. And so that's one of the reasons, first and foremost, that we don't make carved images. is because God has no physical form. Jesus came as a man, right? But God, the Father, he has no physical form. And so it's important to remember that we're not to fashion any visible idol of either some other God, right, or the God of Scripture in a way that he hasn't revealed himself, right? So we know that he revealed himself as Jesus, right, as the man, as the God-man. But other than that, we can't, like, it, it's, it, this is what part of the second commandment is talking about. We're not supposed to be thinking of all these different ways, like, oh, maybe God can look like this, maybe God can look like that, because that's not the point. God doesn't have a physical, physical form. He doesn't have a visible form. And so God's like, don't even, don't even start trying to do that because you're going to put me in the box and that's not who I am. I am not this created things. I'm way above that. So this won't be the primary focus of what I'm going to talk about today, but I do want to touch just briefly on that idea, right? So while it's obvious that God doesn't prohibit all forms of carved likenesses, right? He doesn't say don't make sculptures, right? And why, why do we know that? Do you guys know? Why does, why does the second commandment not forbid every form of sculpture making in all of existence? You guys know? Because it's not bad unless you, you make it higher than God in your eyes. That's part of it, right? As long as, like, there's an the important distinction in the verse before, right? Don't bow down to these idols. But there's also a reason that we know for sure is because when um, God was making the instructions for, to make the Ark of the Covenant— 
he told the artist to make images of angels, of cherubs. And so it seems like God's breaking his own commandment here. Okay, it can't mean all sculptures because God literally himself told the Israelites, hey, make some sculptures. So that would be kind of inconsistent. So the, the important bit, right, is we're not supposed to represent God. And this is really important, guys. Not supposed to represent God in any other way than that in which he's chosen to reveal himself. That's one of the main points I, wanna, I want you to get out of the second commandment, all right? We're not supposed to imagine or try to represent God in any other way other than what scripture says he is like. And so since God has not given us a visible form, we shouldn't make statues of him in terms of like, this is God, right? Like this is a statue representing God because he hasn't shown us like what, what he looks like. And that's, that's one of the important things there. So this was one of the main problems. Let's look at the next verse real quick. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make a carved image in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So this is the major problem for the medieval Roman Catholic Church. All right, so at first they were like, okay, we've got all these illiterate peasants. All these illiterate peasants are coming to the church. And they're like, okay, how do we teach these peasants? All right, we can't just give them the Bible, because one, it wasn't in their language, and two, they don't know how to read. So how do we teach? We can't just send a priest over there and just day in and day, night, day, in and day out just teach them from the Bible, right? We don't have that kind of time. What's an easy way that we can teach these peasants about God and like the stories in the Bible? And so they made stained glass, stained glass windows, right? They made sculptures, they made paintings. And all of these are good, but what ended up happening was the peasants who didn't understand started worshiping the sculptures and the paintings and the stained glass windows instead of worshiping God. And that is the trick. That's the trouble with the second commandment. That's why it's there. It's to make sure that we're, we're careful about these things. Um, and then it goes, they went even farther than that. And now, you know, the Roman Catholic Church for a long time has made statues of Mary and the saints. Um, and they legitimately pray to them. And that is a very clear violation of the second commandment, right? We are not supposed to pray or bow down to in any way, shape, or form anyone but God. So we have to be very, very careful about this. So, God has provided a pretty extensive list of the kinds of idols one should not make, right? We went through that whole big list. Don't make anything of, like, the created order, right? Don't make anything that looks like a bird or a fish or a person or anything. And so, even though most of us today would think it is absolutely ridiculous for someone to make an idol of wood or stone or to worship the sun or the moon, we probably all agree that sounds pretty stupid, right? for us as modern people, like if someone literally just walked outside and just started bowing down to the sun and we're just saying, oh, mighty sun, I worship you. Like you'd be like, you are crazy. What is going on here? Or if I like got my water bottle here and I just set it down, I'm like, guys, this is a God, worship it. You'd be like, do you tripping? What is going on? No, I don't, think, I don't think that's the case because, I mean, so the cross is a symbol mainly of just, like, remembrance, right, of, of what Christ did for us. Um, if you're, like, honestly, that's a tricky one, right? Like, I would, a lot of it has to do with, um, 
with what, where your heart is, right? And that's what all of these things are about too, right? When the peasants were learning about God from these sculptures and these paintings, right? They only crossed the line when they actually started praying to them and bowing down to them. Um, and I don't, I don't think just like holding a cross while you're praying is necessarily that. You just have to make sure that your, your mind is on God when you're praying and not on whatever object might be in front of you. Um, right? Like just having a cross in, in our sanctuary, that's not, that's not idolatry in that sense. Because again, that's, that's not, that's not a, we're not trying to have an image of God. Right, it's not an image of God, right? It's just a thing of remembrance. It's kind of like the communion, right? It's, it's, it's in remembrance. So, so we have to, when, we, when we're thinking about these idols, right, we have to remember that though it was, it sounds pretty stupid to us today, it was not that stupid for the Israelites, right? You're thinking like, dude, what are you doing? You're bowing down to a bowl. What is going on? We have to remember. We have to go back and we have to think, we have to think about why did people worship idols? What was idolatry like in the ancient world? So let's go back and let's figure out why this happened, right? They weren't idiots. They weren't, right? They weren't, they're not any more idiots than we are. All right, so there's a couple of reasons here. We're gonna go through these. So first, idolatry was guaranteed. There's a very simple formula to idolatry. You made a wooden idol or a stone idol, you set it in your house and the God would enter it. You'd be like, okay, I'm going to make a, an, an idol of Baal or an idol of Ashtoreth. And that god would go into the idol. It's guaranteed. That's, that's what happens. And then you pray and you offer your sacrifices to the idol. And then the idol is going to bless you. That's how it works. You have a god. It's right there. It's guaranteed. It's, it's supposed to work. Right? If you're praying to this invisible god who may or may not exist, who knows? Right? Idolatry is very, very attractive in that sense. Again, uh, also, idolatry was selfish. Right? You scratch the gods back, and they'll scratch yours. Right? They need food and sacrifices. You need blessings. You do your stuff, and they'll be obliged to get you your stuff. It was a very selfish way. Right? It's just all about me. It's like, I can do this stuff for you, and you can give to me. It's a very, very easy trade system here. Idolatry was really easy. So ancient idolatry encouraged very vain religious activity. And what I mean by that is, there weren't any rules in the traditional sense, right? It, it, the, the gods of the ancient world didn't say don't murder people or don't steal from people. They didn't really have rules like that. They didn't have holiness rules. Their rules were basically do these rituals and then, I, I don't know, do whatever you want. Just do these rituals and do your sacrifices and then who cares what you do after that because I don't, the gods don't care about what you do with your morality. They just care that they get their sacrifices. So it's very easy. You didn't have to worry about anything that you were doing, any sin that was in your life. Again, also, idolatry was normal. It was very, very normal. So picture it this way. So um, the ancient world is a high school, all right? And uh, you are Israel, and God is your father. And God says, all right, Listen, Israel, my son, don't go do what all these other kids at school are doing, all right? And you're like, yeah, I, I understand, like, they're, they're doing bad stuff, like, they're doing, like, drugs, and they're doing, they're, like, having sex, and they're doing all these things. But this is the thing, God, they're all doing it. And, like, those other nations, they're pretty cool. Like, have you seen Assyria? They got, like, cool swords and stuff. So, I think... 
I mean, everybody's doing it, Dad. So I think that it's fine. I think I think I should be able to do it. Like all the cool kids are doing it, right? It was normal. Everyone was doing it. Idolatry was logical. Listen, nations are different. People are different. Their needs and desires are different. How can you have one God that is for everything, right? You know, you need your you need your winter God over here. You need your harvest God over here. You need your fertility goddess over here, and you know. On any given day, you're just like, okay, I need the fertility goddess today. I need the harvest goddess today. And you just pray to whatever God works for you, right? It just made sense. How You don't eat at one restaurant, do you? Right? You don't just go to Red Lobster forever. I mean, as good as Red Lobster is. You don't go to Red Lobster forever. You've got to try different food. And so the, the people in the ancient world were like, we got to try these different gods. Like, there's a whole bunch of gods. Like, you can't just have one, right? Idolatry was pleasing to the senses, right? If you're going to be especially religious, it helps you to be able to see your God. Imagine it this way. So it's really hard to impress people with an invisible deity, right? You can have this giant statue of your God, and you're like, look at my God. He is so cool. And then the Israelites are like, yeah, well, our God is bigger than your God. Okay, where is your God? Um, Hana, everywhere? Oh, okay. Everywhere, you say. I don't see him. I don't see him. Okay. Right? It's like, it's like if you're, you're, you're telling all your friends, listen, I have, this best, I have this awesome friend, and he gives me lots of money, and, you know, he, he's like the best. He just hangs out with me all the time. You're like, oh, wait, can I see your friend? Can I meet your friend? Uh, actually, no. Um, he's kind of everywhere. Like, you can't really see him. He's kind of everywhere. Idolatry was indulgent, right? Sacrificing to the gods did not often require sacrifice for the worshiper. Leftover food? You had leftover food from the offering? You can just eat it. You have leftover wine from the offering? You can just drink it. You offered your sacrifices, and the gods aren't obviously real, so they wouldn't actually take it. And then you'd be like, okay, well, more for me, I guess. Right? And last, idolatry was sensual going to be real with you, there was a lot of sex in these idolatry rituals. They were, the whole system was just, for the most part, all about sex. Like, all the fertility and harvest, like gods. Basically, like, the rituals often featured sex as a very important aspect. It's like, all right, uh, the, uh, the fertility goddess needs to put down the rain, um, and uh, the ritual, guess what? You just got to have sex. <laughs> I love America. This is a great ritual. This sounds like a great ritual. All I have to do is just have sex, right? It, it, it was, it, and, and you know, obviously the reason that these rituals were the way that were they, the way they were was because it was people who were making up the rituals to appease the gods. And they're like, you know what I think the gods want? I think the gods want me to have sex with a bunch of people. I think that would please the gods. That sounds like a great idea. So, does that, what we're talking about, that, can you see the attraction of idolatry? Can you see how the ancient people might have been a little tempted to just join in this idolatry that was going on, right? Even though it seems stupid to us today that you're bowing down to an idol, it was not stupid back then. At least it didn't seem stupid to most of the ancient world, right? They were like, well, everybody's doing this. It can't be that dumb, right? So does it sound familiar to other 
religious activities or beliefs today. Does any of this sound familiar? Let's see. I want a spirituality that gets me lots, costs me little, is easy to see, easy to do, has very few rules, guarantees me success, feels good, and doesn't offend those around me. There's a couple of things that I could, I could point to. So, we want the same things that they wanted, right? We just go about them in different ways. So, often this can show up in Christianity itself, right? So that's one of the main things I want to focus on. Idolatry can show up in what we believe about church or God. We can make carved images not just through wanting money or power relationships, right? The, when we go through the Gods of War series, right? That's a lot of the stuff we've already gone through. But we can also make idols by viewing God as someone who is different than he is. So we want a faith that gets us stuff and guarantees success. Does that sound familiar to a false gospel today? The prosperity gospel. Joel Esteem, T.D. Jakes. You're just one no away from your yes. You just got to pray to God, and he'll give you health and wealth and prosperity. You just got to have enough faith. You got to confess the billion-dollar flow. <laughs> That's what one of the preachers that we were looking at. Right? These people are just like, God can just get me money. That's all he exists to do. He's just a genie in the sky. He just gives me money. And I, if I just have enough faith, if I just pray enough, he's just going to give me what I want to have. So we want a church that's convenient, right? So we just go to church on the internet. We're just like, you know, I'm just going to listen to a couple sermons. Don't actually have to go anywhere for church, right? No, I just, just look up a sermon on the internet. We're good. It's convenient. We don't want to have to, we don't have to go anywhere. It's cold outside. Or we want a religion that is all about rituals and doesn't care about morality. So we put on our mask, we go to church, we pretend, we do all the Christian rituals, we take off our mask, and we go sin more. And, you know, since we've done our rituals, our sinning is fine now, right? As long as we do the rituals, then we can do whatever we want with our life. That is what a lot of Christianity is like today, and it's a false idol. Or we want a spirituality that no matter what encourages sexual expression, right? We want the LGBT Christian God. We want... A God who doesn't care what we do with our bodies, but doesn't care what we do with our sex life. We don't, as long as it feels good, we can do it. God's totally okay with just be who you are. It's fine. So let's dig into these two aspects of idolatry more fully. So idolatry often means making God in our image instead of the other way around. And idolatry is often related to compromising with the culture around us. Those are the two things I want to focus on. So let's start with that first one. So making God under our own image. Have you ever heard this statement? My God is a God of love. He would never send people to hell. Who's heard that? Yeah? What about this one? God has a wonderful plan for your life and he just wants you to be happy. Right? You heard that one? Yeah? So the thing with those, even though those statements, they seem really nice, they are not true. Which means what? If something, if you tell someone something and it's not true, what is it? It's a lie. Do we realize how serious that is? When we say things like this, we are lying about the Lord of the universe. That's another commandment. That's a different commandment. You've broken two commandments now, right? 
So let's, let's keep reading. So in, in Acts 17, it says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Right? So let's go back to this. An image, we ought not think of the divine being is like an image formed by the art and imagination of man. This is a problem we have a lot, right? We are trying to make God into something that he's not. We want God to look more like us. Who recognizes this picture? Does anyone know this? who this guy is? Narcissus. Narcissus. Yeah. This is Narcissus from Greek mythology. So Narcissus' whole deal was he thought he was the best. He just, he was the best. I mean, he, everyone knew it. He was the best. And so he would just spend hours just looking into his reflection in the water. He would just look at his reflection forever. And he'd just be like, dude, Narcissus, you are the best. You are great. You're awesome. And so when we do this, when we make God into our own, own image, this is exactly what we're doing. We are looking into the water. So scripture is the water in this analogy, right? We're supposed to be looking at the water. We're supposed to be looking into the water. We're supposed to be looking at what scripture is saying. But what we're reading our Bibles, what we do instead is we just see the, the surface. We, want, we see ourselves. We see ourselves in the reflection of the water, and we just put ourselves everywhere we want to in the text, right? We, we look at these verses, and we're like, God loves the whole world? Awesome. That sounds like a God who wouldn't bring people to hell. Perfect. That's the kind of God that I like. Let's ignore all these other verses, right? So there's three, times, three types of bad reading of the Bible, or three types of reading of the Bible. One of, two of them are bad. One is exegesis, right? And that's the good one. That's reading into the text what is already there, right? You just bring out of the text what's already there. Eisegesis is reading something into the text that is not there. You have a, a pre, predisposition, you have an idea that you're bringing to the Bible, and you're putting it into the Bible when it wasn't there before. And then you have narcissus, which is putting you into the Bible where you were not there before, which is pretty much everywhere. You aren't in the Bible. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. Bible's not about you. Right? So we have to go back to God's infallible word to know what God has said about himself. And we have to let the Bible speak for itself. We can't put ourselves or any other idea into scripture. So God isn't some illusionist who's trying to trick us about who he is. He's not like, ooh, I'm going to make this really confusing. I'm going to put this verse over here and this verse over here, and they're going to, it's not going to make any sense to you guys. Sorry. I'm just, I'm going to try to trick you. Who knows? Who knows what I'm like? No, that's not the God that we serve. He wants us to know who he is. And even though sometimes it's hard for us to understand, right? Like, obviously, the Bible is difficult to understand sometimes. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit guiding us. We have the Holy Spirit helping us to know what the Bible is saying. And so we can't use these excuses. You have the power there. You are putting things into the Bible that aren't there when we're trying to make God look like us. So this is why theology is important, right? The study of God. We can only properly love and worship God if we know who he is, right? Say you had a person who claimed, you claimed was your best friend, right? You're like, this guy is the best. He's my best friend and but the thing is, you never wanted to know anything about him, and you just made up lies about him all the time. 
You're like, okay, my friend, guys, check this out. My friend is awesome. He is a master skier and he gives me million do millions of dollars all the time. And he owns a chocolate factory. Like, isn't that cool? And then your friend's like, um, actually, uh, I have never skied in my life. Uh, I do not own a chocolate factory. I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, shh, no, no, dude, I don't wanna know about that. I'm making up my own best friend here. Right, this is what we're doing. How long would that person be friends with you if you just kept lying about them all the time? And he had this letter. He had a bunch of letters that he was like writing to you. He's like, dude, this is who I am. And you're just lying. Right? So the second point of idolatry, right? Idolatry often comes in the form of being influenced by culture. So not only do we try to make God into our image, sometimes we look around the world and we're like, oh, that looks pretty good. Let's make God like that. That thing looks pretty good. Look, look at what all they're, they're doing, right? These people are making this cool God over here. I don't like what the God of the Bible is looking like. Let's go follow that God. Scripture has something to say about that. In Joshua 23, it says, Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. This goes right along with what we were talking about. We have to understand God on his own terms, not our own. We can often be influenced by the cultures around us instead of what the Bible says. Or worse, we try to impose ideas from the world onto scripture. Make it say something that it doesn't. This was a major problem for the Israelites. So much so that God commanded the Israelites to completely destroy the cities and everyone who was in them when they went into the promised land, right? So God had pronounced judgment on all of these nations that were living in the promised land. He brought the Israelites into the promised land and he told them to conquer the land because these people have, they have their, their wickedness is up to here and they, like, this is my judgment on them. And he told them, listen, you can't let anything survive completely destroy the cities just wipe everything out kill the animals you can't even let the animals live you know why because these, these nations were so wicked so vile that they had to be completely wiped out or or else israel was going to follow after them israel was going to follow after their ways God was really serious about this he said you cannot follow after these gods you cannot let these people dictate how you worship me so god also commanded the israelites to not marry anyone from the surrounding nations and you, we all know this was a big problem for king solomon right so he had 700 wives 300 concubines and pretty much all of them were from these pagan nations and so he had wife after wife after wife after concubine after concubine that was whispering in his ear and saying my gods are pretty cool you should worship my gods instead don't worship Yahweh, worship my gods. And so Solomon ended up listening to all of his wives and he built altar after altar in all of Israel to these false gods. God takes this really, really seriously. We have to be very, very careful, just like the Israelites, to not be influenced by the culture around us. We have to go back to the word of God as our authority. We can't let other ideas cloud our view of scripture or God. So it says in um, 
Psalm 115, says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. That's a song that was written about this idea, right? God is so much better than idols. He is so much more powerful than idols. These idols are worthless. It says here, right? They have mouths but do not speak, eyes do not see. They are dead. They have no substance. They aren't real. And God is commanding the Israelites, trust in the Lord. Do not trust in these idols. And it says, if those who make the idols will become like them, like them, that means what? They will have eyes but cannot see, ears that cannot hear, so on and so forth. So these idols, right, they don't have ears or eyes and they can't see, right? Because, or they have ears and eyes because they're made of like a, like a person. But they can't see or hear because they're not real, right? They're dead. They're just a wood or stone idol. But the people who trust in these idols, Scripture is saying, they are just like them. Why? Not because they're dead, right? Not because they, they literally can't see out of their eyes. It's because they're blinded by their following after these idols. They can't see God. They can't see what he wants them to do because they are following vainly after these idols. They want these idols so badly, they can't see anything else. And it's destroying them. So this, he says, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. In Psalm 102, it said, Of old, you laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your ears, your years have no end. Your ears have no end. I just said that. Your years have no end. Right? So all of these things are saying. Idols shouldn't be made or worshipped because they are creations. They come out of the created order. It's like if you, you go into a watchmaker shop, right? And you see this beautiful watch and you go over to it and you're like, wow, this is such a beautiful watch. Oh gosh, this is awesome. Oh watch, you are amazing. Look at how you have made yourself. You are wonderful and glorious. I see how you have made every gear to work just perfectly. And the watchmaker standing there is like, what? What are you, what are you talking to the watch for? I'm the watchmaker, I made the watch. I'm the one who made it beautiful. And so when you, we worship all these things, right? For, for us, it's like money and, and relationships and all these things, right? But for the Israelites, it was the sun, the moon, the stars, all these false gods that the pagans were worshiping. And when they were worshiping those things, they were saying to God, I am going to attribute your values, your attributes, your characteristics to the thing you created. You don't matter. You're not in the heavens doing whatever you please. The sun is in the heavens and does whatever it pleases. And God's like, I made the sun. In uh, Jeremiah, it says, Thus shall you say to them, this is God saying to the Israelites, they were in Babylonian captivity at this time. And it was hard. It was, it, you, you think it was hard not following after these gods when they were in Israel? In Babylonian captivity, it was hard. 
not to follow after these idols because they were surrounded by it. Every single day, the Babylonians were like praying to this God, worshiping that God. And the Israelites had to be so strong and making sure they were worshiping the one true God. And God is saying, thus shall you say to them, the pagans, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. It's true. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there's no breath in them. They are worthless. A work of delusion at the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like, those, not like these is he who is a portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So that, that original statement back here, Thus shall you say to them, the gods who do not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and under the heavens. What's interesting about this passage, this is just a cool little fun fact for you. So the rest of this passage is written in Hebrew, right? Because it was in the Hebrew Bible. But this passage, God specifically gave to the Israelites in Aramaic, which was the language of their captors. And so God is literally giving them the very words that they should speak to their captors and say, listen, your gods are false. You have to follow after Yahweh. You have to follow after Yahweh. So he, God was giving them the apologetics, the, the, the exact words that he wanted the um, pagans to hear so that they would, fall, uh, they would not follow these false idols, right? It is our responsibility as God's people. Maybe you don't go around calling people stupid and having no knowledge, but it is our responsibility as God's people to warn people about the falseness of their gods, right? We are all worshiping something, and it is our job. We know the truth. We know... Yahweh. We know the one true living God. And when we ignore the fact that other people are literally completely blind and they can't hear and they have no mouths, they, they have no, they're completely useless. They're completely lost, right? Following after these idols, we know that those idols are false. And when we neglect to tell them, when we neglect to have the love for people to, to let them know who the true God is, we are letting them just wander blindly and aimlessly, right? And, th and that goes for when you, we have a false perception of who God is, right? When, when there are people who are following after a false image of the God of the Bible, right? We, should, we need to come to them lovingly, obviously, and gentle and respectfully, but we have to come. We have to let them know that they're not worshiping the God of the Bible because that could be the, mean the difference between life and death. So it says in um, some passages of the Bible, Jeremiah, when he utters his voice, there's a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise. Oh, I already did. Never mind. This is the one I was trying to go to. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know. This once I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. This is God prophesying about a day when people from all nations will come to God. They will throw down their idols, and they will say, Lord, these are worthless. 
We need you. You are the true and living God. This is a prophecy of the Great Commission. This is people from all ends of the earth coming to the Lord and throwing down their idols. And it is, not only are these idols completely worthless, but they're lies. This is the beauty of the gospel, right? God is not going to lead these people to their idols. He's going to draw them to himself. He doesn't want people following after false gods. And so he will bring them to himself. He is doing that right now. When we go out and preach the gospel, that is what we are doing. We are fulfilling that great commission. We are fulfilling this passage when people coming from the ends of the earth and saying, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. And they throw down their idols before the feet, the cross. And that is what we are called to do. Be a part of that process. So there was an early church father named Athanasius. He's a cool guy. Had some cool, cool writings. But he had this to say about the power of God and salvation, leading unbelievers to leave their idols and follow Christ. This was very early on in the church. This was as the Roman Empire was still existing, and there was, like, on the edges of the empire, right, a lot of these barbarian peoples, these natives, these um, uh, pagan peoples, right, who didn't follow after um, Jesus. And Athanasius was seeing the gospel be spread. And he was like, God is so cool. Let's just read what he wrote. The Savior does daily so many works drawing men to religion, persuading to virtue, teaching of immortality, leading on to a desire for heavenly things, revealing the knowledge of the Father, inspiring strength to meet death, shewing himself to each one, and displacing the godlessness of idolatry. And the gods and the spirits of the unbelievers can do none of these things, but rather shew themselves or throw themselves dead. They consider themselves dead at the presence of Christ, their pride, their pomp, being reduced to impotence and vanity. Whereas by the sign of the cross, all magic is stopped, all witchcraft brought to naught, all the idols being, are being deserted and laughed, and every unruly pleasure is checked, and everyone is looking from earth to heaven. For the Son of God is living and active and works day by day and brings about the salvation of all. But death is daily proved to have lost all his power, and idols and spirits are proved to be dead rather than Christ. These idols, they have no eyes, they have no ears, they have no feet. But God... Jesus Christ is living and active. He works day by day and brings about the salvation of all. A couple last points. Let's go back to Exodus 20. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a what? Jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Right? This is a serious God. This is a God who demands exclusive worship. And that's not a bad thing. He demands our exclusive worship. Even though he visits the iniquity of the fathers of, of the, on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, Right? If you curse God, if you do not follow after God, there will be consequences. And God is serious about those consequences. But, but get this. What does he say? But showing steadfast love to thousands. That's not just thousands of people, guys. That's thousands of generations. So God shows, he visits iniquity, he visits wrath on generations of people, on third or fourth generations of people who hate him, who follow after him. But guess what? He showed steadfast love to thousands of generations to those who love him. There is a powerful thing about a legacy of Christ followers 
God is powerful to bring that about. Right? So if we get this, okay, a biblical generation is about 40 years. How many years is that? Thousands of generations? How many years? At the very minimum. 40,000 years. That's crazy. God is immensely, powerfully loving to those who follow him. So amazingly loving. He wants to show steadfast love to thousands. He will. He will draw them to himself. He will save them by the cross of Jesus Christ. And he will love them. So it says in Deuteronomy 6, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you off from the face of the earth. Again, this is serious, guys. Serious, serious stuff. Idolatry is serious. God demands our exclusive worship. He is a jealous God. That makes sense, right? Because God, if God is who he says he is, it wouldn't make any logical sense for us to worship anyone else. And it, it, right, he doesn't want people to fall after gods that don't exist. It doesn't make any sense. But besides that simple fact, right, and the fact that he commanded it, here are two other important reasons why we should offer exclusive worship to God alone and not fall after these idols, right? And seek after the God of Scripture. One, we should worship God alone because God, because our life's purpose is to glorify God and to offer him worship. And he's the only one worthy of that worship, right? That's our whole life's purpose. At the end of the day, it's not about us, guys. Not about us. We, are, we exist simply to bring praise to God. He's a jealous God, right? And he exists to glorify himself, which is not a bad thing. Again, if God, right, it sounds kind of selfish to us to say, like, God is a jealous God. He glorifies himself, like, all these things. But, but think about this, right? Who else would he glorify? Who else would he say is great? Why would he ever say, you should worship this other thing? It doesn't make any logical sense. He's literally God. But the second, second point, important point about um, not following after these idols, we should worship God alone because God is the most perfect, wonderful, beautiful thing in the universe. And worshiping anything else is at best a pale substitute. This is the great, awesome thing about worshiping God, guys. First, right, we should do it because God commands us to do it and because our whole life purpose is to glorify God. But guess what? It's not boring to worship God. It's not a drag to worship God. It's not hard. I mean, maybe it's a little hard, but it's not like, I'm trying to think of other words, right? It's, it's not, it's amazing to worship God, right? We're, we're giving God praise, but when we give God praise, when we, seek after God, this is what we're seeking after. The most beautiful, perfect, wonderful being in the whole universe. When we get him, that's all we'll ever need. Right? At best, worshiping anything else at best is a pale substitute. Think about it this way. It's like you have the best gourmet meal in front of you that you've ever eaten in your entire life. Right? It's just, it's the best food. Like, you, you, you can smell it. It's right there. And you're just like, oh, this is this is like the best. The, the, the chef is like the, the highest world-class chef in the entire world. The, the environment, the whole, the whole restaurant is just amazing. 
Like you're, just, you're about to sit down to eat this amazing gourmet meal. And if you're worshiping after idols, guess what, guys? You know what that's like? It's like having this gourmet meal in front of you. You go out to the dumpster and you eat a dirty diaper out of the trash. That's what it's like. God's like, this is me. I am the gourmet meal. I am everything you could ever possibly want and desire. And if you worship me, you will be satisfied forever. You will never need anything else. And we're like, you know what? I think I'd rather eat poop. I think I'd rather dig in the dumpster and eat a diaper. I'm speaking to myself, guys. Because we all, we all know we've done this, right? We all know we have. And I'm speaking to myself right now because I have followed after so many other things but God. And I tell you what, every single time, it, it, it seems like it's going to be really sweet, right? It seems you're going after that dirty diaper and in your mind, it's like, the, it's like a steak, right? It's like the best steak you've ever had in your life. And then you take a bite and you're like, ah, why? That's not what I thought it was going to be right? And you just have this bad taste in your mouth. You're just like, ugh. At first I was tasting steak, but now I all, all I taste is a dirty diaper. All I, all I taste is garbage, because that's all it is. But when we have a taste of the living God, when we worship God, even though at, at first it's like, but it's so hard. I want all these other things, God. You don't look as good as this other thing. But when we have a taste of the living God, when we worship God, Holy and completely, when we solely worship God, when we offer him exclusive worship, it is a gourmet meal that will never, ever have an aftertaste. Right? You will never regret choosing God over these idols. You will always regret choosing the idols over God, but you will never regret, regret choosing the idols or choosing God over the idols. Right? So we shouldn't want anything else but God. That's, that's, what, that's what I want to get across to you guys. And, and I'm, again, I'm speaking to myself, right? I, I, we, none of us do this perfectly. I am the chief among sinners in this area, right? But we have to make sure that, one, the God that we are following is the God of Scripture and not the God of our own making. The God, the God that we're following is not a God of the world, but a God that blows those categories out of the water. That is completely anathema to everything we're seeing in the world. And then third... But you need to remember that God is the best. He is so worthy of worship. And not only is he worthy of worship, but when we worship him, we will be satisfied in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for um, this opportunity to just come before you. Um, just to read your word and to just desire to know you more. I pray that you would just impress it upon us just how important this is, Lord, that we cannot follow after other things than you. That it is not worth it to follow other things than you. That we should not be making a God that is in our image, Lord, or the world's image. But we want you. We want you, Lord. And Lord, I pray for all of us here, Lord, who are Christians, who are earnestly trying to seek after you, that you would help us to fight that you would help us to desire you more than anything else because we will never regret getting you over these idols, Lord. And Lord, if there are people in this crowd 
There's people here, there's students here, Lord, that don't know you, and they are hearing these messages, and they are realizing that they have been following after idols, Lord. They have been blind and following after these idols. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I, I pray that you would help them to repent, to throw their idols at your feet, Lord, to want nothing to do with them anymore, but to follow you with our whole heart. I pray that you would just bless the rest of the time we have tonight and that you would just continue to just be God, Lord. Thank you for that. I pray that you would just continue to open our eyes to how amazing you are and that we would just be earnestly in Scripture seeking after you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alrighty, thank you for listening to my message on carved images, the second commandment. Um, we'll be back maybe Monday with another episode of The Christian Artist. Uh, at the very least, we'll be back with another bonus episode at some point soon. Um, but yeah, stick around, and uh, there'll be more from us here at The Christian Artist. Have a great week.